Stay smart. Stay cool. It's time to prove to your friends that you're worth a damn. Sometimes that means dying. Sometimes it means killing a whole lot of people. Frank Miller, Sin City. Hello and welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kentad Svensgard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to AJ Mass. Yes. No. Maybe. I don't know. Could you repeat the question? <laughs> You're not the boss of me, Kentad. Oh, uh, I knew that was coming somehow, somewhere, at some point today. Uh, folks, today we have a podcast for you about the television program Criminal Minds, uh, where each week we recap and take an, take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before and am giving you a first-watch perspective, while our friend AJ has seen each and every episode plenty of times, and he is giving you the grizzled veteran recap perspective. So that's how we come at it for you. And this week we are going to be discussing season three, episode 10 of Criminal Minds entitled True Night. This episode was written and directed by Edward Allen Bernero, and it originally aired on November 28th, 2007. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This week we did start with a a quick previously recap of uh, basically the Garcia episode or episodes of the last two weeks where we see Garcia getting shot and we are reminded about uh, Nicholas Brendan, a.k.a. Kevin Lynch, being a replacement technical analyst while Garcia was out and he was all into her gooey. <laughs> Ooh, they had to repeat that line. I know. I do, I do think that, quite frankly... <laughs> Just guessing, because I'm not going to go back in the calendar and, and look, but guessing, I would say that this was probably the week after Thanksgiving, and that episode had aired on the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, and they're just assuming some people were traveling, even loyal fans of the show might not have watched last week, so let's just do a quick recap for those people. Yep. I, However, it did make me think that this episode was going to be more about that than it actually was. But it, yes. it, it, it was it was fine. It was fine. Well, you can't you can't have all those references. And not that there were a lot of them, but you can't have like references to Kevin and like who the f is Kevin if you didn't see last week. So at least just shove it in there so that people aren't who missed last week's episode aren't completely thrown by references to this character who they wouldn't have known otherwise. Exactly. So we open this week with a shot of Los Angeles. There is jazzy music playing on the soundtrack. Not just just jazzy music. That is Harlem Nocturne, which is uh, a classic uh, television detective noir music. Basically, it's known in most circles. Like if you went on Name That Tune and they played that, yeah, you're supposed to say Harlem Nocturne. But if you said Theme from Mike Hammer, you would have also been given the points. Yes. Uh, And yeah, we're immediately given a mood. We're immediately thinking film noir, that genre, that style, hard-boiled detective type of vibe. 
and we zoom into a, a loft apartment, a dirty, messy, shabby looking loft apartment, might I add. But there's a, a lot of comic book art on the walls. And we see an artist at a, a drafting table and he seems to be furiously drawing away. And because we expect it of the noir genre, we immediately get a voiceover narration. And it's all about how no one sees the true night. Bing, 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 bing. Episode title. Episode title. Yes, four weeks in a row. <laughs> yes, indeedy. Uh, what's really out there, they can't see. They feel some elemental force out there that scares them, but they refuse to see the actual source. Something is out there, something cold, something inhuman. And meanwhile, we have zoomed into the artist's pages that he's working on. And I immediately assume that they, they're using a lot of the season three budget on this episode because we go into a very cool shot that we are feel like now we are in a, a comic book noir movie. Sin City, to be exact, is exactly the reference I believe they are, are taking. You know, we have the stark colors painted onto sort of a photorealistic black and white world. It's a rainy night in a dark alley. We see a hooded figure that's clearly a, a vigilante type. He's brandishing two swords. We hear some creature growling. We see some flashes of what appears to be a werewolf. And then, as Netflix captions helped me identify, a driving bass-heavy rock song starts up. <laughs> I, I would more call it a, a matrixy techno beat but that's fine yeah it definitely this is so stylized and it's it's so different for this show that you just yeah. it forces you to pay attention like what am i watching the right show like, you know expecting bullet time to come into play any second it's crazy yeah yeah what the what so then we see flashes of what appears to be a werewolf we get an action sequence of the vigilante twirling and spinning and, and cutting at the uh, wolf, and actually it seems to be two wolf opponents as he cuts them, their blood is the bright, stark red coming out, you know, on the black and white uh, in that stylized art style. And we see that one creature gets in a slashing attack on our, I'm going to call him hero, <laughs> but on, on, his, on his back, and he swings around and Sword, sword, swords at them. As I wrote, <laughs> I think that's swords. the verb, right? <laughs> and uh, he manages to cut the arm off of the wolf creature, and it drops to the ground. And then he swings a bit more and spins and fights in action, and has eventually finished both of his opponents off. And we zoom out, and their bodies are on the ground. And then we zoom back out of the comic book page and realize that it's this artist's drawing. And we sort of pan over to him. He's now sleeping on his bed. And I'll admit, I didn't realize it until the next time we see our guest star. I should have recognized him right away. It took me, I guess maybe because his eyes were closed, I didn't recognize him. Uh, but we have our our famous guest star that uh, you brought up at in the uh quiz last week it's uh malcolm himself mr frankie muñez frankie muñez you didn't recognize the dreamy eyes of frankie muñez <laughs> <laughs> so uh good to see him actually getting 
another piece of acting work. I did. Did he? Did he have anything after Malcolm in the Middle? We, I vaguely we, we, remember a movie, maybe. We will get to that uh, in, in the questions, perhaps. Oh, interesting. So then we cut to an actual alley, or actually in terms of criminal minds, and we see a pool of blood there and a arm that's cut off, but it is a very human arm with tattoos on it, not, not the arm of a wolfman creature. We then reverse travel by photo of this arm back to the monitor of the BAU office where JJ is explaining the case. There's a lot of nice technical criminal minds type of uh, camera work and trickery and whatnot going on. And I, I, I should mention that here. Yeah, it's just, it's just a very cool stylized open into a very just different ways of visually presenting a story that are just not used to seeing on this show. I, I I like when they mix it up from time to time. Yes. This this show can get very stale. I mean, this is we're not we're maybe fifty episodes in right now. Is <laughs> a little over fifty. It's like it's not like oh my goodness, we have to reinvent the wheel every week. But you do like when they suddenly go, okay, I don't know what I'm watching. I really don't know what's going to happen here. This is kind of cool visually to to pay yeah. So JJ is saying that these are the sixth and seventh victims in a two week span. And it turns out all these people were killed with a bladed weapon. The attacks seem to be getting progressively worse. This killer is getting bolder and more vicious. So Hotch says to tell L.A., which I thought was kind of funny, just tell L.A. that they'll be there by 930. Of course, I know he's talking about the police, but uh, (laughs) tell L.A. Uh, We cut back to the bloody arm for a shot, and then we go to our credits. We come back and have a a nice scene that I enjoy of Morgan bringing Garcia back into her office, which I will say Kevin Lynch has left a freaking mess and (laughs) completely reorganized. It sounds like it it appears that uh, he has done his damage. Hurricane Kevin Garcia is not happy happy about this. Uh, you don't mess up Garcia's office, no matter how cute you are, as she uh, says. Morgan actually doesn't want to go to L.A. He wants to stay and help out Garcia, which I thought was just very nice character development for him and within line for his character, you know, given everything that she's been through. But she insists that she's fine. She doesn't need him around trying to fix things. That actually is a scarier thought than getting shot to her. She does a, a weird little like weightlifting thing and she's going uh, uh, to kind of show that she's uh, fit as a fiddle. Morgan gets the point, but he does let her know that he's just going to be a phone call away. And so he leaves her there. She's thinking of her thoughts about Kevin and how dare he mess with her domain. Yeah. I, what I do like about the scene, it, in addition to the fact that, again, it completely recognizes the fact that. These two have incredible on-screen chemistry. They're just fun to watch together. Even in you know, most of the time, they are interacting in separate rooms. But anytime you can get the two of them in the same room together to have fun, you know that both the actors are enjoying it immensely, uh, and it's it's fun to watch. But also, it does show that it's not like there was this incident at the BAU headquarters and Garcia's fine. You're right. <laughs> time has passed. Kevin has had time to move into this office for a little while. And that's why it's messed up. He didn't do this all just in the one night. Right, right. When Colby was on the on the prowl. So I, I did like the fact that it shows the passage of time a little bit without having to beat us over the head like three weeks later. You know, like 
you get it. Right. It's, it. When they write like this, the show works on its highest level. Definitely. We cut to the BAU jet flying out, and Reed is the one that voices over our quote. Superman is, after all, an alien life form. He simply is the acceptable face of invading realities. Author Clive Barker. And instead of our usual victimology talk on the jet, we cut straight back to the sleeping Frankie Muniz in his little shabby apartment. We see that he's dreaming or flashback to him remembering something. We see him with a woman. She's asking him to help with her outgoing voicemail message. He's a writer. He promised to help. He tells her to say she can't answer the phone because she's out there living her life. And she likes that, so she records her OGM. Hey, this is Vicky. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm out living my life. Leave it at the beep. And then they get all romantic in the couch, on the couch that they're on, in case we had any question as to what their relationship was. <laughs> Good job, sis. No, 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 no. That's not where you're going. Yeah, you, you want to spell it out for the slow people. Uh, well, I remember, remember much, much quainter time when you actually had to leave your house and you didn't have your phone with you because <laughs> they didn't exist, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I recorded my own outgoing message on my voicemail. I think it's just <laughs> the number you have called is not available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these days, back back in the day, yeah. though, that was that was that was that was all, all the rage. We, we had fun oh, yeah. doing that. We, 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 we would get some interesting uh, options on our phone. I would change them daily to reflect the news. <laughs> Something would happen. Try and do my wacky voices. You know me. Yes. And I always think of uh, George Costanza doing the greatest American hero theme on, on the, the – Believe uh, it or not. <laughs> George isn't at home. So uh, then we are brought back to the now by a loud knocking on the door and someone's calling out, Johnny, Johnny. So that is Malcolm's name. <laughs> he is Johnny. And uh, he goes to the door and opens it to a dude in a suit who is looking him over. And he's like, wow, I don't check on you for a few months and you fall apart. So apparently it's been a little while since he's seen this guy. And he, obviously this guy sees he is worse for the wear. It turns out that this is his agent and he's there to take him to his book signing that he has in an hour Johnny doesn't want to go, but his agent tells him, hey, they got a big advance from their publisher. And plus, these people are all his fans, and they actually camped out all night in the rain to meet him. So he tells him to go ahead and get dressed. He's got coffee in the car. So Johnny lets him in, and the agent walks over to his drafting table as Johnny is getting ready. And he looks at the artwork, and he's wonder, <laughs> wondering what it is that he's working on. So the agent asks him about Blue Six, and Johnny says he's doing something new. And the agent says, well, Blue is due in two weeks. Johnny doesn't really seem to care. He's not feeling it. He's working on something new. The agent reminds him that he has commitments, and he's a professional. And what the hell is with this new art anyway? It's all blood and decapitations. How did his art, or when did his art get so violent? And Johnny just repeats that he's working on something new. So the agent says, well, he'll call the publisher. We, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm working on something new. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I should give it the inflection. Uh, yes. 
Indeed. Like, okay. Like I, I, I actually get the fact that the agent probably wouldn't check in on him. If he's, <laughs> if he's so successful that this is blue six that's due, that means he's, he's probably, I mean, sure. Not all comic book numbering systems. <laughs> Big hero six was not the sixth in a series. I get that. But, uh, you know, he's probably done a blue, a blue two, a blue three, a blue four. So, you know, he, He's an artist. He goes away for a couple months. I've written a book. I had an agent. You know, he, he, he went away, left me for a couple months, came back. Said, you know, how you doing? Good? Oh, okay, we're on track. Great. You trust the professionals. Exactly. So we uh, cut over to them in the car. The agent is yelling at the driver because they're late. He even makes a comment about since you don't have to give all the pedestrians the right of way. And in my head, I'm like, um, no, you do. <laughs> but <laughs> I get his frustration. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, I, I understand on most days vehicular homicide is not something you want to get involved in. But. We have an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Johnny is clearly not having a good time. He has a headache. He's rubbing his head. And he lets the agent know it's not getting better with all his screaming. So the agent then starts talking about the new art style. He says it's violent as hell, but it's actually pretty amazing. He asks what the name of this new vigilante character is. And then he sees that it's night. And he doesn't really like that name. He says it's not very catchy. How about something like Nightman or True Knight with a K? And Johnny is <laughs> vehemently against that idea. No K, no K. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, Moon Knight. We can ask Isaac. No, that'll never work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the agent gets the message, however, and he asks Johnny what's wrong with him. And Johnny puts his hand to his temple in the famous I have a headache gesture. And he flashes back to Vicky and him. And they're in a much nicer loft apartment. Or was it the same loft apartment just painted same white? Loft. I wasn't. It's Shh. just the entire uh this entire reverie is just bright, happy colors, and it's 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 I mean it's you know, yeah. even washed out to the point of ridiculous happy colors so that you could tell it's a memory, but yeah, just just the difference in the art table, just the, the inks that are on it. You can tell there's been some sort of disconnect since this memory, certainly. Yes. And he's working at his drafting table and she's asking him if he's going to work all night. And she lets him know she's hungry. And he wonders how someone so small can eat so much, which kind of made me chuckle because she's like taller than him and bigger than she him. Is but, yes, but, exactly. The size difference is going to be there with Peggy Rudius, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> for some crazy reason, though, it's the middle of the night and she wants to go out for some teriyaki beef jerky. OK, um, he's like, OK, I guess so. So she tells him to hurry up and then we come back to the car and the agent is yelling at the driver to hurry up. So that's how we flash from back then to back to now. And the uh, agent also notices there's a big scene outside with police cars and whatnot. And he's saying something big must have happened. And he lowers the window to look out. And we see that they're driving past a crime scene and an SUV has pulled up. And it's our boys, 
uh, in this case, it's Morgan and Reed getting out of it. So it was a nice oh, way to transition the scene. It was a phenomenal transition. Like, Grimm Wise does not do this. This is not something that it's almost like it's not, but it, it gives the illusion of this being one continuous shot from we were inside the limo, then we're outside the limo as the window is rolled down and his head is sticking out as they drive by. And you know that when you set this episode in Los Angeles, well, we can use the streets of Los Angeles where we are filming this and just we can get away with doing that because we're not trying to hide Los Angeles and say, yeah, we're in the middle of, uh, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, that's clearly Los Angeles. Here, it's supposed to be Los Angeles. So use the streets. I think it's a, it was a brilliant job of mixing up the visuals and it, it works. Yeah, it was great. And uh, so Morgan and Reed are in the middle of some silly little argument when they get out of the car about uh, saving time in, in the traffic. And Reed is saying, you know, the interchange between the 405 and the 101 freeways is consistently rated the worst interchange in the entire world. There's banter back and forth. How would you know that? Well, of course, Reed reads all of the government reports. And Morgan does not read the reports on the traffic patterns in a city 2,500 miles from where he lives. And Reed says 2,295 miles. <laughs> To which Morgan says, don't make me smack you in front of all these people. <laughs> now, the only thing that was was that, uh, what do you do? It's the Californians. You do the 405 to the water. <laughs> yes, it made me think of that. And then you get on the five. So the local police uh, officer comes up and introduces himself. Detective Grady out of the LAPD. Reed and Morgan introduce themselves. The rest of the team is uh, in an SUV that is stuck in traffic. Yeah. Well, Reed, Reed points that out. Morgan just gives him a look like, stop it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they say, well, you had two more victims last night. Yes, they were uh, found and the bodies are in the alley. Well, what's left of them anyway? They ask him if it's the same victimology, which I thought was interesting because they didn't tell us what that victimology was on yep. the plane, as mm-hmm. I mentioned before. Apparently it is. They don't have any ID on them yet, but the clothing fits. The cop says, you think this is uh, only one guy, huh? And Reed says, well, the level of overkill suggests an unsub in a psychotic break. Multiple unsubs in violent psychotic breaks operating in the exact same location is exceedingly unlikely. And the cop kind of looks at him and then looks at Morgan, who says, yeah, it's probably just one guy. <laughs> that was nice. Oh, that's just great. Reed's going to read. Morgan's going to have – already has no patience with him today. <laughs> yes. So next we cut over to the gallery where there's supposed to be the comic book signing. And there is a line of people waiting. And <laughs> – I was kind of disappointed a little bit in the stereotypicalness of this of this comic book line. The people that, you know, that like they were trying to go for the nerd type, the, the Comic-Con type. And and it, it worked for the scene, I guess. I just thought it was a little too... I don't know. Clever for itself. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Well, let's 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 put Sheldon on, you know, and the rest of the big right. gang boys on the line. They're kind of doing that and mocking that, you know. Oh, you know, I got blue hair. Oh, I'm a nerdy douche. Um, yeah. Okay. I will at least say, even though the physical appearance of the comic shop owner is also stereotypical, because he's basically a yes. living version of comic book guy. Um, Exactly. He didn't act 
like the nerd either. He he actually seems like it's just a normal businessman. So at least they kind of put that on its head a little bit. But okay. <laughs> it, yeah. It, this, I mean, this didn't last long enough for me to hate it because it, it would have. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the other thing. They're like, it's one eleven. He was supposed to be here at 1. And they're complaining about the uh, uh, Johnny not being there yet. Like, calm down. I, it doesn't seem like uh, maybe it's L.A. is different from New York. But New York, I wouldn't be talking about somebody not being there 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It, yeah. it's, it, it's, it is L.A. It, it is L.A. There is always traffic in L.A. Yeah. So they, sh- yeah. When it's when you say an event starting at one, you mean one thirty, <laughs> if you're lucky. So yeah, not. But yeah, they've been waiting all day and all night. Yeah. So the uh, the gallery guy is just like, hey, look, they're stuck in traffic. All of a sudden, we see the blue hair guy that you referred to before talking about. Well, it's probably this police activity that's holding him up because he's got a little earpiece. And so he, he's apparently listening to the police scanners or, or the reports. And he's saying robbery homicide's been out there all night. And you know what? RH only comes out on on uh, the major cases. Coming up next after Criminal Mind with Chicago <laughs> RH. <laughs> yes. And the, uh, the first kind of nerdy guy that was talking is like, well, if Johnny McHale doesn't show, I promise you I will take my considerable business elsewhere. And uh, the owner is like, you can leave right now, Milo. (laughs) Uh, So he also, I guess, knows these guys uh, that are right in the front front of the line. line. They're they're the the regulars. They're the Norman Cliff of this joint. We, we, We get it. Then the agent is walking in. He's got Johnny McHale with him. He introduces him to the crowd. Johnny stands there for a second as the crowd starts to clamor around and take pictures of him. And you can tell he's sort of freaking out at this as the flashes go off. You see one guy, his phone all up in his grill, taking pictures. And uh, and then he just starts to freak out. And you can tell he's not going to do this. He takes off and runs out of the back door. The agent starts to chase after him. No, Johnny, Johnny. And, <laughs> and the Milo, he's like, uh, that was the personal appearance. <laughs> the uh, comic book guy tells him, you know what, Milo, seriously, just leave. And he says, they hate me at Hero World. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just a nice little button to the scene. It's fine. Uh, again, this yeah. is one of those things where this is such a dated kind of technology, like with our camera phones on our smartphones and everything. We've there was no need for flash. It would just you wouldn't have heard the, the clicking going off. And there are there are people. They were like big, you know, flash bulb going off. Right. <laughs> it's like they would have walked in. There would have been a crowd, and they they would all held up their phones, videoing it. <laughs> and he wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been triggered. <laughs> yeah, they might as well have had one of those like old fashioned, you know, hoods. the guys holding up the flash with the flames <laughs> coming out <laughs> and the hoods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh johnny runs outside uh, he runs around a corner he's he's breathing heavy he's clearly having a meltdown he pulls out his phone and dials it and we hear vicky's answering machine machine message hi hey this is vicky i can't come to the phone right now because i'm out living my life leave it at the beep and he's just like vicky call me please call me back i'm so sorry 
So something's going on with him and Vicky. We're left to think, and uh, I mean, he would not be this this distraught, and that place would not look that way (laughs) if it still had the quote unquote woman's touch. (laughs) Exactly. So he continues to freak out, and eventually he start he just runs out into the middle of the street, and he gets hit by a car. The couple gets out of the car. Oh my god! Oh my god! He just jumped right in front of me, and the guy turns him over and he's like there was nothing i could do are you all right can you get up can i help you he starts to freak out some more and starts choking the driver of the car and there's no rhyme or reason and no right way that i felt this way but the woman starts screaming oh my god jasper (laughs) and that cracked me up i don't know why aj just there's nothing wrong with the name jasper jasper if you're listening it's a great name but it just cracked me up that this guy's name was jasper and it took me sort of out of the scene (laughs) because i started laughing Uh, yeah i i suppose i mean for me for me when when i'm watching it (laughs) if if you you know you're trying to figure out the case always and we don't know what's up with johnny at this point and his name is johnny and the blue six, so I'm, I got numbers in my head about Johnny. I just envisioned that Johnny is a robot <laughs> with superhuman <Yeah>. strength. <laughs> Johnny Five is alive because <laughs> he does kind of like he's lying there, and all of a sudden he like kind of recharges his eyes open, so like he's okay. It's just uh, I, obviously he's not a robot, but it's just I did have that image yeah. as well. But yes, Jasper is a fine name. One of my favorite characters on the hundred was Jasper. Um, but yes, it's, it's not something you hear on TV a lot. I will say right. that. And certainly you don't hear, you don't hear Jasper. It's not either. <laughs> After party, shout out Ben Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, the wife of the driver is like, you son of a bitch, what are you doing? It's your, it was your fault. Like, I think she thinks he started choking him because he hit him with the car, but Clearly, we can tell that it's much worse than that. Something's going on with this guy. He freaks out and runs away. Yeah, he hears her. He hears, you know, she's yelling at him. It's your fault. You did it. It was your fault. And he, he, he like, ah. <laughs> it's a, he yeah. runs away. And I'm just like, he hit that car hard enough to shatter that windshield. And he can run away. I mean, he does have a little bit of a limp. And we'll see. We'll see that yeah. his pants are torn and he's bleeding and everything. But I'm like, man, that had to be at least three bones, <laughs> a couple ribs. But he's got he's got that uh, that energy. He's high, he's he's amped up. He's having a break. Yeah, he's AJ, got that so. artist adrenaline. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we cut to uh, Morgan, who's in the the alley of the crime scene. He's with Hotch now at this point. And he's telling them it's it's definitely their guy. It's the same victimology. And this guy is getting really brutal. And meanwhile, Reed is with the uh, Detective Brady. And he says, uh, did you know that uh, domestic cat loose in a normal neighborhood is the equivalent of a small scale ecological disaster? <laughs> and the Detective Brady is like, uh, excuse me? And Reed says they'll kill anything they can. Bugs, rodents, birds, other cats. Small dogs, anything. And Detective Brady's like, oh, what does that got to do with this? And Reed is saying, an unsub with a violent psych- psychotic break is worse. So that was a, good, a long way of getting to that point. You could have just said that, Does your analogy Reed. have any relevance to what we're doing here? <laughs> <laughs> 
We cut over to Johnny, who is doing that limping sort of run that you uh, talked about. And he can hear the woman from the car still screaming at him in his mind. You ran out in front of us. Are you? Stop. Stop. No. He runs into some crime tape and a cop stops him and it sort of snaps him out of it. There's actually a commercial break in the middle here. And that made me laugh because basically Reed says, this is an unsub in the middle of a break. And we see the star of Malcolm in the middle, our unsub, and they go to a break. It just It's subtle. It probably was unintentional, but it made me laugh. <laughs> that is a good point. I didn't even He's think in the that. middle That's good. of a break. Break. Cut back. Same location. And they pick up. It just, so I don't know if it was intentionally a visual representation of a break, but there was a break. <laughs> and Malcolm yeah. was in the middle. Uh, yes, now Johnny Leap reaches that crime scene. Hey, hey, you blind? Are you just stoned? Yes. This is a New York cop. This is not an L.A. cop. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, this cop doesn't seem like he's like, this is a crime scene, you moron. This is Lenny <laughs> Briscoe. Like, <laughs> this, this, is, this is not this show. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> but certainly not an L.A. cop. Hey, you blind or you stoned? What? Hey, walk around, douchebag, idiot moron. <laughs> Your paisan, <laughs> goomba. <laughs> so Johnny does go around, and uh, he actually bumps into Rossi, who looks at him. And uh, Rossi is like, I think he picks up on something with this guy right away, because he's like, oh, wait a minute. It looks like you hurt yourself there, you know, looking down at the rip in his legs where he's pants leg where he's bleeding and uh he asks him how that happened and johnny's just like uh i I think i fell i was running and he looks over to the crime scene area and he's like are they dead and rossi's like it looks like it he then introduces himself hey my name is david rossi what's yours and he says uh john McHale." he asks him if he lives around there and at that moment his agent comes up he's found him so i guess all this time he's managed to run i guess everything is still in that same yeah, he's not running with purpose area general he's not area with purpose either so it's like you know he's just kind of aimlessly wandering around so he finds johnny and uh takes him away says you know come on here the car is right over here so they they That's leave the most, those with the questions i have about this i mean it's fine i believe that johnny is acting this way i believe that rossi would be perceptive enough to especially when he's in check the scene, see if the unsub's around, because they do that a lot. They usually like to revisit the scene of the crime. So, of course, he's going to be... I don't know why he's standing outside the police tape. <laughs> that was the thing that bothered me. Yeah. Like, we're in the middle of the investigation. Why is he not in there investigating? Or at least on the inside of the tape looking out. It, that was just weird. Yeah, it was just he was just like standing there watching it with the onlookers yeah. or something. And, and, and it wasn't to blend in, because he does not. So, it, it was weird, but okay. You know, everything else of the scene worked. Yep. So next we cut to the car, inside the car, and the agent is wondering if Johnny's all right. And he's saying, well, I think she's mad. And he's like, well, who are you talking about? And he's saying she won't call him back. She, he left tons of messages every day. And, and the agent is like, who, Johnny, who? And he says, Vicky. And then you, we know right away something must have be horribly wrong because, I mean... He doesn't say it. Vicky, she's dead. But you can kind well, no, of tell. You know what? I actually, I it, something yeah, happened. It's hard for me knowing the ending to rewatch and recall 
what my reaction is when I saw this the first time. I think the guy does a pretty good job of, of rolling his eyes almost to the, like, it not, yes, yeah. Vicky, oh, she's dead, but also could be, Vicky, she broke up with you, dude. She, she left you, yeah, man. It, it yeah, it could have be been that. that. He didn't react to the point like, oh my God, Vicky's dead and you're seeing ghosts and like, get over. Like, it was like, man, man. Oh, Vicky, Jesus, not that again. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it was my first thought because I know I'm watching Criminal sure. Minds, and that's why I think that. But yeah, you're right. It could have been any. It, there could have been several interpretations. Yeah, there. I think so. it, it, it could go either way. And, and sometimes they'll zig when you think they're going to zag. I mean, there's lots of times you're like, "Oh, there's the unsub." Oh, it's not the unsub. That's the victim. You know, they'll they'll play these games. So he tries to call her on the phone again. We start to hear the message that we've heard. 3,500 times by now. Hey, this is Vicky. Then we go to another flashback, and it's them walking down the street, Vicky and, and Johnny, and she's eating her beef jerky. So they have obviously gone out and got that jerky. She loves her jerky more than uh, more than anything. And she mentions that her mom loves beef jerky too. She must have got it from her. Do you think it's genetic? Johnny is like, no, it's probably more environmental. And she says, well, I wonder if the baby will love jerky. <gasps> oh, dum, revelation. Dum, dum. <laughs> he looks at her. He's like, when did you find out? And she said, for sure this afternoon, but I already kind of knew. And if it's a boy, I want to name him Johnny after his daddy. And they hug. And it's a beautiful little scene. It's a beautiful little scene. It's a little on the nose. It's a little sappy. But at least, you know, if anyone was just like, now, why would you go out? I mean, you're almost as oblivious as Johnny, I guess. He's like, now, why would you want to go out in midnight for craving some beef? Craving? Oh, my goodness. Wait a second. Are you pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it ties together. <laughs> yep, it does. So we cut back to the agent and Johnny at his apartment. The agent is letting him in and he's saying, you know what? I, I've got a pretty good therapist I could refer you to. And Johnny is not having it. He's just like, go away. And he he insists, you know, I can get you an appointment. Johnny's like, look, go away. And he's like, uh, all right, we'll do this some other day. We'll do, go back to the comic shop some other time. Johnny's like, no, you know. And in fact, he gets just so upset with him and wants him to leave. So he says, you're fired. Uh, the agent can't believe it, but Johnny's just like, get the hell out and go. And then he flashes back to the car, cutting to the car. We see cuts to him and Vicky from that night. He's freaking out. There's a lot of different flashes here of, of things that we've seen already. It's a bunch of and, uh, memories, yeah. Yeah. And then he uh, tries to dial the phone again. Again, we hear the message. Hey, this is Vicky. Yada, yada, yada. And he gets mad and uh, drops the phone and he picks up a dumbbell that's by his feet and somehow defying all physics. <laughs> From where he is on the bed, he, he manages to throw the dumbbell and it goes through the TV that was coincidentally showing uh, JJ's press conference and it, and it crashes into the TV and, and destroys it. I, I didn't believe the angle and the velocity well, but this, we're correct. Okay, fair, but also this is the comic book episode, so you're going to have. They're using a lot of duck angles. They're using a lot of 
kind of different video techniques. So I actually am going to give them credit for doing something that was very comic booky in this instant. Uh, I did think it was hilarious that the press conference, you know, happened to just say Agent Giroux. <laughs> not FBI Agent Jennifer Giroux or, you know, BAU, just Agent Giroux. <laughs> <laughs> Like anyone uh, watching at home would would get anything from that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they go, oh, that's Agent Giroux. <laughs> no, no, look, look, I have a degree in broadcast journalism, but not how you Chiron. We next cut to Johnny's agent getting into his car. Uh, the artwork is still there, and he just looks at it and he sighs, and he just tells the driver to take him home. And the car drives off, and it reveals across the street the BAU SUV and and Rossi getting out again. Another pretty great transition. I I, I like what's going on this episode. I, I like because it's the exact same transition. It's, it's the agent in his car driving, which you know they could shoot that on the exact same day, back to back. But I I did like the balance of it. It was, it was very kind of cool. And at first, I said, wait a second. Why are they like? Is they, he's not living across the street from the crime scene. It took me a second to realize. Oh no, they just happen to be at a different location near the crime scene. Because why would he take him to the car if you know it was a little bit of a, yeah. of, a of a mind twist there? But I, I again, I just like the fact that they could shoot these scenes concurrently and it keeps the momentum going without these like fake transitions or the need to constantly cut, 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 cut. It worked nicely, right? And Rossi does answer the question immediately. Yeah. Because he says this area is the center, basically, of all of the crime scenes. And they always sort of do that, figure out where it is centered so they we, can... We always do our He map. must live within the... Yeah, it's exactly. Network. <laughs> so they're going to... Hotch is there. He's telling them that we've got a task force going on. We can, we're going to canvas the these three blocks in both directions, which covers about 3,000 residents. A lot of the buildings around there are single-room occupancy with a high turnover rate. So it's a very transient neighborhood. There aren't a lot of records of the people that are living there. JJ comes up. She says, like, the press conference went well. Not from her end. Yeah. <laughs> not not from the TV it. end of it. <laughs> right. She didn't realize it just said Agent Jarreau. So. The press conference is going really good until this weight just hit me in the face. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> She says it should be on all the stations and all the local stations now. Hotch says, well, hopefully we can thin out our suspect list. Then we cut to Johnny in his apartment, still freaking out. Again, flash cuts of various memories, the snarling wolfman face. So Johnny goes to his drafting table and starts to draw furiously again. And the camera then pans to a window and we go outside. And as we're panning up, the day turns into night. And we see the moon, and then we pan down, and we're in a different area, a residential neighborhood, a house in a residential neighborhood that we're focused on. And we're back into the gritty film noir style from before, the Sin City style. And we see that our vigilante is there behind a car, and he's casing the house. There's a wolf man there at this house. Uh, so our vigilante runs up on it and attacks it with his swords, he dispatches the uh, wolf that's in front of the house, and we, he runs in, and we can hear more howls and sword slashing, so we know the the vigilante, as I call him, is, is wreaking havoc on the wolves. 
the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Selena. <laughs> the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> then the sky again turns to daylight, and we're back on the real world. Back in the real world, and we see that it's a, a real house, and there's a postal worker who comes up to uh, the house. She sees a body on the steps and starts screaming. Yeah, I, look, I'm all for equal opportunity casting, but there's no way this woman was supposed to carry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, look, like I said, I, anyone could, like this woman was just, did not seem fit enough to do this particular job. I'm sorry. It just, it just, it drew attention to itself. And there is no way this woman would have just dropped the mail and run screaming. Like she has postal carriers see stuff. And I understand this is shocking. It just, it took me out of the reality of the moment. Could have been anybody else in this role, but you don't cast someone with bright red hair who stands out. Like it's like, it's, it's look at me, look at me. I'm, I'm someone they just threw into a suit. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. This cast. <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. It does not work. Okay. Uh, we next cut back to Johnny. He's asleep at his drafting table. We're flashing back to Vicky, letting him know that she's having a baby. They're wondering if the baby will love jerky, as she said before. We go over again the scene where he's tell- she's telling him. But uh, now we see that he's getting down on his knees and he's promising that first thing in the morning he's going to propose to her. She's saying, oh, Johnny, you don't have to. And he's like, Vicky Wright, will you marry me? And all of a sudden, her face is focusing on something else. And she says, Johnny? And he's saying, Vicky, Vicky? And then we see that he turns around and sees someone or something. And he looks, I don't know, scared, nervous, concerned. (laughs) Certainly gets his attention. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of like... Like he snaps back into his desk, he awakes, and you kind of still hear the echoes of the sounds of stop, ah, no! yes, coming from his his vision, his memory, right into the into the reality. And there's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, he gets up though, and he's looking for Vicky as if she's in his apartment right there, like he's heard her screaming. But now he feels like he's heard her screaming from right there, and uh, he looks around for Vicky in his apartment. He doesn't find her. He goes over to a, a mirror and sees that he has blood on his undershirt on the side. And he hears sirens and he runs and looks out the window. And there's a cop car driving by. And the BAU sedan. To be, yep. <laughs> I love this. Again, another love this transition. It's like, oh, and, the, you know, they're on, they're on their way to the crime scene that has just been called into the police station that we didn't get to see that scene. But we know because we've seen this show 100 million times. We know what, what's going on with the BAU. Let's see what's going on with an unsub, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, we cut into one of the, one of the SUVs and uh, it's Morgan. He's on the phone with uh, Detective Brady and he's finding out that it's the same type of victims as before. Everybody that's dead here was was a gangbanger. There's another cop with Detective Brady, <laughs> uh, who apparently is like the gang task force guy. Or as I called him, Mini Morgan. <laughs> yes. He's that, are you. <laughs> that, that is so great. I was thinking the same thing. Like, 
<laughs> anyway, yeah, he was saying, good riddance if you ask me. And uh, they ask him who that is, and it's uh, Officer Benson, and he's from the gang task force. Hotch is asking them what the scene is like, and uh, they're letting him know that actually they're, it's the gang leader's personal house that this happened. And the guy's name sounded like a neighborhood to me. His name was Glen Hill. Uh, that just sounds like a neighborhood. Um, his street name, though, is Reaper. And Minnie Morgan is like, guess why? And uh, the uh, Detective Brady says, only Benson and me had been inside, but I didn't really do that much. Kind of backed out the moment I, I saw what was going on in there. So Rossi asks him how many victims there are. And there were six. And uh, there were no survivors at all. Brady is actually saying that he never thought he could feel sorry for these gang-banging son of bitches. Hotch lets him know that they'll be there in a few minutes. So this guy is escalating. And Reed says, you know, the other victims were in alleys and dark corners. Now, it seems like he was initially just defending himself. And Rossi says, like, yeah, like Bernie gets riding the subways with a gun, waiting for someone to confront him. And Hotch says, except now he's seeking them out, to which Reed says, yes, because psychotics in a break always devolve. And Rossi says, yep, it's only a matter of time before it becomes dangerous to the, someone closer than, to him. Which is going to be right about now, AJ, because... <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny, funny that. Yeah, but no, I, I also like this because, again, if, if if you're watching this for the first time and you don't know... We we don't know the order of operations here, so it, it's at least it still opens up the possibility. Like, oh, did Johnny kill Vicky? Like, there's still that that possibility that they're kind of hinting at here. So, you know, is this is this really what happened? We don't know. It's it, it's turning this you know into a a mystery rather than procedural cop mm -hmm. show like, a little little different so we cut back to johnny who is still hearing vicky screaming in his head he uh opens his windows and goes out onto the fire escape of this apartment building and uh he goes down a few flights screaming for vicky and then he actually goes into the window of another apartment <laughs> and the lady that's there is is startled at first, but she actually does recognize him. She's like, oh, Johnny, you scared me. Um, she asks him if he needs anything. Did he hurt himself? And he's like, well, where did Vicky go? And the woman is like, Vicky, who, who's that? And he's like, she was on the fire escape. Vicky, my fiance. And she's like, you have a fiance? <laughs> he says she was on the fire escape just before he came in. And she's like, oh, no, no, Caesar was out there. I'm assuming that was her cat. And he says, no, 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 I saw her come in here. And she's saying, Johnny, nobody came in here. And the camera's starting to do some kind of tricksy, you know, focus, unfocus on her, on the woman to indicate that he's back in one of his sort of psychotic breaks. And he's like, don't you lie to me. And she's, I'm not lying to you. Where is she? Where is she? We hear the woman screaming, no, as we cut away from that scene. I mean, I'm glad they didn't go the complete cartoonish route where he suddenly pulls out two samurai swords from behind him, because that's what you would do in, in, in certain uh, over-the-top performances. So I'm glad it was just realistic that he just snapped in the moment. Yeah, we don't need to see what happened, but you know this does not end well, especially after what Rossi just said. We cut back to the latest crime scene, the house 
of horrors. Um, there is graffiti covering the walls and also lots and lots of blood. It's almost like a, a Dexter crime scene, I thought. All the blood. Yeah, this is over the top. Just take 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 this uh, can of red paint and just splash it everywhere. We'll call it blood. Uh, yeah, this graffiti confused me too. They make a point of saying it's TSK, the Twenty Third Street Killers, and I know that's 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 right because Twenty Third starts with T. But why wouldn't you just be two three K? Yeah, or something? <laughs> like T. They could also be the t- the Tenth Street Killers, the Twelfth Street Killers, and instead it's just tisk. tisk <laughs> yeah. Passport. No, we have a pitchfork. So it just, it's just weird. Yeah. So the scene is a bloody mess. It looks like they tried to fight back, and Reed says they failed. And uh, <laughs> Brady is asking if they're sure it's not some kind of gang retaliation. And uh, Rossi points out to Benson and he's like, well, you're on a gang task force. You ever see a, a street uh, street person do something like this? And uh, Benson is like, yeah, actually. <laughs> but uh, one guy and Morgan says, well, one guy with a weapon, psychotic rage and surprise on his side. Reed is chiming in. Yeah, it's just like any kind of school shooting or workplace shooting. And Officer Brady says, well, what do we do now? And Rossi tells him we're already doing it. And an unsub and a psychotic rage stands out. JJ's got media playing to the press. She's putting his profile out to the public. Somewhere, someone in this world knows that this man, he, they know this man and they know that he's in crisis. Hopefully they'll recognize the description and uh, that will let us find him. And then Prentice comes in and she tells Hotch he needs to see something. We cut back to Johnny's apartment. He's still fuming at the woman. He's like, I know she was down there. I saw her. And then uh, we hear and see flashes of Vicky of the crime scene with the police tape. The wolf, the sword is swinging and Johnny is rampaging in the apartment. All of a sudden, knocking things over, ripping the art off the wall. He's freaking out. We cut to the LAPD room where JJ is helping out with the officers working the phone hotline. A cop comes in and lets her know that they've got some people out front that want to talk to her um, because they saw her press conference. Cut back to Johnny's apartment. He's still on the floor freaking out. The FBI kicks in the door. And I'm assuming it was Morgan. I couldn't tell 100%, but I, I'm going to say it was Morgan. <laughs> of course it's Morgan. Of course it's Morgan. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they come in and they basically arrest him. He's saying, what did I do? What did I do? Brady and Morgan are the ones that are, are doing the arrest. And we cut to them bringing Johnny into the precinct. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool, it's right after the commercial break. When he's arrested, they come back and it's like, again, use, using the outside inside combo here. The car pulls up. There's a corridor of looky loos and they kind of slow motion bring him into the station and then into <laughs> uh, the elevator off the elevator. This was my favorite part of the entire episode, quite frankly. It was great. And AJ, they did something that I. I almost wish they did every episode, except for it would probably get old by that point. 
But this is why this is why it's my but favorite part. They have a whiteboard that they pass. The profile is neatly printed out on the whiteboard. Boom. We get the whole profile there. We know what they did. They wrote it down. White male, approximately 25 years old, lives in the area. He may come to the crime scene to passively investigate. He's in, in, in a psychotic break. He might be confused. He might be easily agitated. Somebody out there knows him. Get the description out there. We see all of that in a quick flash. And that was all I needed. I don't need a profile scene. <laughs> that's not criminal minds. And that's the thing. Like, But this is what they do every episode. So when you have one episode where you say, yeah, 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 we did all that. I mean, even in the last sequence, it was like, hot, you have to see this. We didn't see what they had to see. But whatever it was, was the final piece that pointed them to Mikhail. Like, they didn't know him before that. Now they do. That's yeah. fantastic. That, that it's like, we don't need, we know they figured it out. And here, look, this is this. Da, 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 da. They figured it out. We don't have to show you that scene every week. We can do something different. And now, if they did it this way every week, it, yeah. we'd get bored with this and say, how did you figure it out? I need to know. So, you know, we, you know, we just were television viewers we don't know what we want <laughs> but if you mix it up like this i thought this was this was fantastic it was it worked with the style he you know he's pet everyone's looking at him in, in 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 the room you see that the blue hair guy is there you see that the guy who hit him with the car is there you see milo is there and you see his agent is there and, and i love the fact you see the agent get up like he oh he wants to help he really wants to help his friend and, and jj has to hold him like no 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 he's under arrest you can't all yep. silently Great scene uh, and quite enjoyable. They take him to the interrogation room. He's still saying, I haven't done anything. There's been some kind of big mistake here. And good acting on on Frankie Munoz because I actually believe that he believed he didn't know what the hell was going on, basically, at at this point. And uh, Morgan is there and he's like saying, hey, don't worry. It'll work itself out. Um, Johnny is saying, you know what? I, I just draw comic books. It's probably that guy out there, Bobby. I fi- Bobby, that's his name, by the way. I've been yeah, calling him the here. agent the whole time. Uh, <laughs> because we didn't know who his name was, yeah. He's probably just mad because I fired him. And, and Morgan is like, he's not mad at you at all. Uh, which I thought was... Which we just saw, which, we just saw, which was just a great, great... Contact. Yep. Like, I love it. And Morgan is like, do you remember that I read you your rights? I Do you understand that you can have a lawyer present? Do you want me to call one for you? And he's like, no, I don't want a lawyer. And Morgan is insisting, tell me that you understand. So they clearly know that he might not even understand what they're talking about. So they've got to make sure, you know, it's clear to him. Yeah, they're recording this. Like, it's he doesn't know they're recording it. They don't make a point of showing that they're recording it. They're recording this. Yeah. <laughs> They're covering their ass. And Johnny is basically just saying, look, they, there has to be some kind of mistake here. I haven't done anything. Reed is looking out in the – he's in the precinct and he's looking as Hotch and Rossi come into there. And they have boxes of evidence that they have collected from Johnny's place. And it's a lot. And they're saying, well, there's more. We didn't find the murder weapon, but we didn't really need to because they have uh, all of his artwork – He's clearly a sick young man, and all of the artwork basically matches all of the crime scenes. <laughs> uh, picture, picture perfect, basically, except for maybe the fact that they're they're wolves. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, where the bodies were found, yeah. the positioning, like all that uh, stuff. Yeah. 
So Hotch tells uh, Prentice to get him the mugshot of Glen Hill, and she says, yeah, give me a minute. And meanwhile, the uh, agent is saying, hey, is this all from, uh, he spotted those guys with bringing in the evidence, and he asks if that's all the stuff from Johnny's studio. And they say yes, and he's saying, the agent is saying, he's not a killer, he's just sick. And JJ says, well, you did the right thing by coming here, Mr. Kim. Now you see, say that you haven't seen him for a couple of months before today. And he starts to explain, yeah, you know, I, I, I get busy. There was no reason to, you know, go there. We cut back inside to see that Johnny is flashing back in his mind again to the night of the wedding. I mean, the, <laughs> the night of the proposal. he's flashing back to the night of the proposal Vicky Wright will you marry me and Hotch puts a picture down of uh, Glen Hill right in front of him they let him know that Glen Hill is missing and Johnny is like you think I know where he is and uh, Brady is actually in on the interrogation as well he says uh, six months ago he and his gang victimized you and your girlfriend right and Johnny just is like what he, this doesn't even sound familiar to him. Prentice says they attacked you on the street and you couldn't identify any of them after you got out of the hospital. And Johnny's just like, this is crazy. Meanwhile, uh, Garcia is calling Morgan. He picks up the phone. He says, hey, how you feeling? And she starts saying, well, she can't get her chair adjusted right. You see her like fiddling with the chair that was uh, clearly pushed down for uh, Kevin. <laughs> but but because of, uh, I guess because of her injuries, she couldn't really fix it. Yeah, every so often she goes, ooh, <laughs> she's pulling a little too hard. Other than that, she's mortified. And he, Morgan is like, what? Mortified? And she says, please don't tell me that this unsub isn't Johnny McHale. And Morgan is like, oh, don't tell me you're a fan of this guy. And she's like, oh, my God, he's a genius. And Morgan is like, well, you should have seen what the victims looked like before he killed them. And Reed says, you know, sometimes for an artist, the only difference between insanity and genius is success. <laughs> okay, Reed. Okay, Reed. Yeah, this this scene really didn't need to be there. Um, it's just because yeah. Morgan and then he just hangs up. There's no resolution there. Like, yeah, I think that. That either could have been a little longer or just didn't need to be there. I know we want to remind yeah. ourselves that Garcia is around because she's got to do this episode, but she's like, or maybe she did. Maybe she did a lot of clickety clack and we just didn't see those scenes because we weren't focused on that. But like, we didn't need this. Like, don't tell me you're a fan. I am a fan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the whole call. So we cut back into the interrogation. Hotch is telling Johnny, I believe you're suffering from a post-traumatic form of a psychotic break. And you have been for weeks. And Rossi's like, and it's possible you don't even know. And he's like, how could I not know? They start to show him his artwork. And he says, uh, they say, this is a page of from something you're working on. Then they show him the picture of the murder scene from two nights ago, which clearly matches the murder scene and the art. And Rossi says, you were there yesterday. I talked to you. We have photos of you. Johnny is like, wait. This is real? And Brady is telling him, well, these dead people are the members of the 23rd Street Killers, TSK, um, Glenn Hill's gang. <laughs> yeah, oh, pissed? Oh, of course. Glenn Hill's gang. Uh, there were six mem- gang members murdered in that house last night because he has a picture of the exact house where it happened. 
Johnny is just like, no, this is this can't be. It just doesn't make any sense. They tell him that this is Glen Hill's house. There was a trail of blood leading out of the back door. And we actually think you took Mr. Hill with you when you left. Meanwhile, we cut back to Reed going through some one of the evidence boxes with Morgan. He says, oh, is this his phone? Uh, yeah, they found it. So it looks like on the phone that he was making a bunch of calls to the same number. So Morgan tells him to dial it. Maybe it's somebody that can help. They dial it. And then another phone and one of the evidence boxes rings. Then, of course, we hear one more time the voicemail from Vicky. They say, Vicky? And JJ comes up, says, Vicky, yeah, that was his girlfriend's. Because, of course, JJ knows the details of the case. They don't know because, you know, they're doing their Morgan and Reed stuff out there. And JJ's been doing the investigation, reading the, reading the exactly. things supposed to be reading. And, yeah, Vicky, the girlfriend. And Reed that. says that all these calls were made within the last couple of two days. And JJ says, sometimes what an unsub does actually makes sense. And it, uh, I thought that was a good line. Yeah, of course it makes sense that he's uh, trying to call her because he's and he's psychotic, even though she's no longer with us. Yeah, I love JJ. Uh, <laughs> then we all love JJ. In fact, I thought she was about to walk right into that yeah. room and solve the case herself. <laughs> Cut back to uh, Rossi, who's t- telling uh, Johnny that you know severe PTSD is not uncommon for victims of violent crime. And Johnny, again, it's just like victims. He doesn't understand. They point out he's bleeding. And it actually looks like a a grazed gunshot wound. Did they shoot you last night? And he's like, look, just stop. I I would know if I'd been a a victim. They ask him if he remembers being in the hospital. He's like, I was was never. And Rossi has his medical report to show him. And this does they cut you open, Mr. McHale. And we we have cut now to an ambulance and uh, we see Johnny. He looks horribly beaten as they're putting him into the back of an ambulance. And uh, he tells them that Rossi tells him you were nearly eviscerated. And they said it was a miracle that you even lived. And that's sort of what gets him going like he, he seems to maybe start remembering now he's like miracle well and in addition in addition they lift, lift his shirt up and you see this horrific scar on his chest that obviously you couldn't see when the, when the shirt was was there but like yeah, yeah. look look right there yeah We're exactly not lying. uh and he's uh johnny is like miracle you think living was a miracle and they say look all your drawings reflect the actual crime scenes all of them but one and they hold up a drawing and it's of a man I will just say, uh, speaking of eviscerated, this man looks eviscerated in a chair in some bloody area somewhere. Yeah, this is this depicts yeah. a gruesome butchering. Absolutely. They ask him where this crime scene is, and is it Glen Hill? Where is he? Where is Glen Hill? And he's saying, no, no, you don't know what's out there. He says, you don't know about the night. They say, we don't want to hurt you, Johnny. Rossi's like, it's okay, son, it's okay. Johnny's crying. I couldn't help her. Well, and Johnny gets so upset, he rips the damn cuffs. Yes, away from the table, like which I love. I love the inclusion of this scene because it's like, yeah, you know, it's Frankie Muniz. It's this tiny little guy. Like, how could he beat? He can if he has enough strength to rip the cuffs away from a table. You could see that when he's in a psychotic rage, he gets super strength. I mean, it's insane how how strong he is. Then we also cut back to another flashback, back to the night of the proposal. 
him saying, will you marry me? And him looking at her as she's looking at what's beyond. He's saying, Vicky. She's saying, Johnny. We turn around and there's the gang bangers all around. And one of them is like, answer him, baby. And it, it's kind of a frightening scene. And, you know, he's saying, look, I have money. What, what? They force her to say, yes, she's going to marry him. And Johnny's like, look, we don't want any trouble. Then they say, you know, hey, all right, bro. See, she said, yes, you got more than you thought. You got a fiance, a fiance. (laughs) You hear them screaming, help, stop, get off me. The main gangbanger says, uh, you're not going to want to miss this. And then we see Johnny and he's saying, they made me watch. Oh, it's just, it's it's awful. It's just awful, awful, awful. And I know you didn't say gangbanger yeah. in that sense, uh, but ugh, I mean, oof, that's exactly what's going on there, unfortunately. And it's ugh, yeah. brutal. Glad we didn't have to watch. You know, it's, it's the whole thing. He, he, he gets so upset. Uh, and now you understand why he got so upset and why the psychotic break occurred. And I, what was really cool in this scene is that even though they're trying to restrain him because he's incredibly violent and he's good, yeah. they're, they're actually kind of kind to him. Like they understand that it's not his fault in this case. Like usually it's like, oh, you're just an evil person. Like they get it. He's not really in control of this. So they're, they're, they're kind to him. And they're saying things like, uh, you were sick. You don't know what, you didn't know what you were doing. Where's Glen Hill? Where's Glen Hill? And we hear again, Glenn Hill saying, you're not going to want to miss this. And clearly he has now given them the location of where Glenn Hill is because we next cut to Morgan and Prentice busting into the very grisly crime scene where Glenn Hill was killed. So they found him. It was disgusting. It matched. Yeah, we 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 yeah we cut to a quick first. We cut to the Johnny dressed as night with the with the knife to to Hill's neck. Um, he echoing back that you know you're not going to want to miss this line to him as clearly he's about to use that knife. Yeah, uh, and we don't need to see the aftermath. We you know it's just Morgan and Prentice's look when they find exactly. the room is enough to paint the picture. So. It's a lot. It's it's like, you know, you think this episode is going to be all all fun and action adventure. No, man. So we... Uh, Poor little Malcolm. Cut to the jet. They're on their way home. Uh, Morgan is on the phone talking to Garcia, who's telling her just to leave it alone till he gets there. I, I, you know, I will say that this whole scene on the jet is shot with like, again, a, a tracking shot. Because yeah. we're actually going from like a little vignette to vignette. The first thing yeah. you see is Hotch hanging up on a phone call. We don't we don't hear we don't hear the phone call, but he gets a look on his face and it just makes you want I mean it makes me wonder like what happened in that phone call? Like, what was that phone call yeah. about? Because you know, the case is over. Like that's just, just like, hmm, interesting. And then Morgan's on his phone. It's like it's all the phone right. calls that are going on here, which is really kind of cool. Uh we get we yep. so we get the Morgan banter with Garcia. I'll fix exactly. your damn chair when I get back. <laughs> uh, don't make me spank you when I get back. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> Reed is like, don't listen to him, Garcia. He's all talk. And Morgan walks by and, and <laughs> hits Reed in the back of the head. One of those, you know, like friendly little stupid slaps. Hey, you knucklehead. And uh, Reed is like, oh, JJ, he just hit me. And uh, JJ's like, you guys, be- you boys behave or I'll have to ground you both. Uh, which was funny. And then uh, he's got one of, Reed has got one of, 
Johnny McHale's books, and it's called Blue. And it's about a girl who thinks she's a real human being, right? But it turns out she was a robot that was built by her uncle. Which was funny because that's exactly what I thought he was earlier, not not remembering that this was what Blue <laughs> yeah. was about. And JJ is like, so it's Pinocchio, <laughs> which I thought was good. And Reed is like, yeah, it's like Pinocchio, only it's uh, set in a high school in outer space. And uh, so they ask what happened, by the way, to Vicky's phone, the one that Johnny kept calling with her message. And... Uh, Reed says, well, oh, we gave those both back to him. And they say, she says, well, you know, I couldn't imagine having nothing left of someone but a voice message. I think I'd never stop listening to it. And Reed says, yeah, it's sad. Hey, did you know that Carlo Lorenzini, the guy that wrote Pinocchio, was said to be obsessed with the human nose? Uh, as a matter of fact, Pinocchio wasn't even his first character, the first character. And JJ's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. She gets up and she's like, coffee? Because she she can't take it. JJ's reaction, she actually goes, yeah, wow. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Okay. No, didn't know that. (laughs) Bye. Can I get coffee? More coffee? Great! And she just rolls her eyes as she's walking down the aisle. It's yeah. hysterical. Uh, we cut over to next see uh, Ross Ian. He's sitting with Prentice. And Prentice looks like something's on her mind. So Rossi asks, asks her if something's wrong. And she says, well, basically, this is the first unsub I've worked who wasn't really a bad guy, you know? Six months ago, Johnny McHale was just a regular person. And Rossi's like, well, every unsub is ill on some level. Most can't help what they do any more than Johnny could. Prentice is like, yeah, but this guy was like a successful writer and artist. And he went from that to a brutal killer in in the space of six months. He suffered an unbelievable tragedy. And she says she knows she gets it. And And Rossi asks what's bugging her. And she says, well, it just makes me wonder if we're all capable of becoming something like that. And Rossi just says, uh, life is a hell of a thing to happen to a person. Yeah, that would be, it's an interesting, uh, interesting food yes. for <laughs> Yes. And but we're not done with the episode. We could be done not. with the episode. We, uh, <laughs> there's, a quick, there's a quick pan over to Hotch again at the very end of this scene, who's looking very morose, yeah. even for Hotch. And again, just like, you have any idea what could possibly have been on that phone call? <laughs> I don't know, but next we cut to Garcia's office and Morgan is there fixing her seat and she's telling him, you don't really have to do this. And he's like, woman, will you hush? I can do it myself. (laughs) She's saying I can do it myself and she just can't grip anything too tight yet. And Morgan's just like, just sit your motor mouth down. (laughs) Um, See? And so she sits down to it and she says, yeah, that's perfect. And uh, Morgan says, there you go, my sweet lady. And she says, oh, my hero. And he's like, I'm nobody's hero. And she says, this was this was very interesting, the way they did this now, because effectively, they're giving us the quote. Again, they're playing with the way they do things here. Exactly. This is the closing quote, but it's her actually, actually talking to Morgan, asking him if she knows if he knows who Frank Miller is. Uh, he's like, no. And she says, graphic novelist, 300 Sin City, <laughs> to which he says, uh, oh, right, right. Cool movies, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Like he skipped past the graphic novel. He's, he saw the movies. Yeah, exactly. Well, I also like the person with something, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, uh, Garcia says, well, he said something once and it makes me think of you. <laughs> 
it was a little clunky because she now she goes into the quote. I, well, and also because <laughs> here's the thing with criminal minds when they do interesting things like this, and I, I appreciate that if we're gonna have an open and closing quote that we do it differently from time to time. Uh, but you know, it's a recorded voiceover. It's ADR, so it, it no longer sounds like she's talking to Morgan. You know, it just sounds like she's in the studio, which is what she is. Right. You know, they could have just recorded her having the scene and with saying Morgan. the line in a natural manner. That's that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, but no, that's not what they did. They had her time it out to the video, which I understand why they did that because got to match the video. But yeah, yeah. all of a sudden it's like. <clears throat> He said something, which is like yes. this. <laughs> uh, I'll say the quote, uh, the noir hero is a knight in a, in blood-caked armor. He's dirty, and he does his best to deny the fact that he's a hero the whole time. You calling me dirty, Garcia? What is wrong <laughs> with you? <laughs> so finally, we cut to Johnny, who's locked in a... It's not a padded room, but it may as well be a padded room. It's, it's, it's an institutionalized yeah. setting, absolutely. And uh, there's drawings of Vicky covering all of the walls. And Johnny's sort of there sitting in the corner of the room, basically rocking back and forth, thinking on life, I guess. And then we hear again, hey, this is Vicky. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm out living my life. Leave it at the beep. And that's how we end our episode. Thank goodness, you know, because they could have they could have chosen a lot more sappy ways to, you know, or you know, you, you feel for, you feel for Johnny at the end of this episode, which you, and you're supposed to because it's not his fault. None of this is his fault. He didn't set out to be an unsub here, but you know, all all I'm hearing is like, wait for the beep. You gotta leave your name. You gotta leave your number. Wait for the beep. Glad you called, but I'm not home. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that was it for this week, AJ. I, I, uh, I enjoyed this episode. It wasn't a, it wasn't a perfect episode for me, but it, it worked enough. And they did a lot of, as you say, different things off of the normal Criminal Minds formula to make it pretty interesting, especially the film style and, and the transitions. So, uh, yeah. I enjoyed I mean, the episode. You know, episodes are going to fall into a bunch of different categories, and there's there's some where it's like. We as the audience don't know who did it, and we're trying to solve the crime along with the BAU. And there's somewhere like we do know who who did it, and we're trying to watch them solve the crime. And this is this is like a, a weird flip on it. Like, yeah, we know who did it, pretty much, because we're following him the whole way. But we don't ever see BAU's side of things. It's just we're really just following him, and the BAU is coming in and out of his story, which I, I think is a lot. It's different enough that it's interesting, even if the story itself, you know, what it boils down to it is not necessarily that interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's But it's sad. And I think the way that, and at least they made it, if you were going to make it visually stunning, like like you said, they blew their budget on the two uh, <laughs> rotoscopic type sequences, you know? So yeah, it, it's different enough that it, and, and it's also, it's not Frankie Munoz playing against type. It really isn't. He's playing type. It just, you know, the character does ridiculous things, super feats of strength, but, you, you know, they explain why. So, yep. it, it, it all, which is kind of a superhero kind of thing. Like, it, it works. Exactly. So uh, let's bring out our barometer and uh, determine if the the team won the episode this week. AJ, what do you say? Yeah, well, and, you know, the episode's over. I don't really know what they did to solve this case. 
because we didn't follow them. We, you know, like we don't. Like, Hodge, come here. You have to see this. What? I don't know. <laughs> what was the profile? I, I don't know. Um, so I'm going to give them the win in this because they caught him rather quickly, even though, you know, eight people died and yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know, or yeah. 15 people, however, like, um, you know, we never did find out if he actually did kill the neighbor downstairs, you know, maybe, but, all right, all, all of this stuff in there because of the way they showed this episode and filmed it, I have to give them credit for the win just because they, they got him in the end. And I also just like the fact that they felt bad about it. Like maybe, made me feel like they, they really did understand the case enough. So they're getting the win here, even though, you know, they didn't, was there a win here to be had? I don't know, but they got the win. Gotcha. Another thing we like to do at the end of uh, each episode is a little quiz. I like to call three questions inspired by the episode we just watched so aj how about it what do we got this week well yeah let's go into these three questions here inspired from the episode that we just saw question number one all right now you had asked earlier about uh, frankie muniz and uh you know obviously you know unless you're of a certain age then i'm sure okay agent cody banks i get it but that's that's not us <laughs> um yeah, he's best known for being the titular Malcolm in the Middle from the sitcom. In fact, this was his first television role after that series came to an end. Mm. And he really doesn't do a whole lot else in his career, to be honest. He, he went into race car driving, I know, for a while. Uh, Jason Priestley did that, too. So it was just a weird, like a lot of LA TV stars decided they're going to be race car drivers. So <laughs> he was doing that for a while and he kind of didn't do a lot of acting. Uh, his credits kind of include playing himself on uh, "Don't Trust the Bee" with other, you know, our previous uh, Criminal Minds unsub Vanderbeek. <laughs> yeah, um, and he also uh, appeared in three Sharknado movies. Oh, <laughs> I think one as himself and two as characters, which is just you know all Sharknado thing of it all. But yeah, he's he once here, once there. He's not really acting much anymore. He the, mm. this this was pretty much. Malcolm was it for him. Right. Uh, you know, but it's okay. So, nevertheless, you watch Malcolm in the Middle. A lot of people watch Malcolm in the Middle. At least you're familiar with it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Very simple question then. What was Malcolm's last name? <laughs> uh, sure. Show aired for years and years and years. Everybody knows Jane Kaczmarek, Brian Cranston, you know, all these characters from the show. What was I, your last name? <laughs> huh. I am. Tr- I. I admit. I. I watched it on occasion. It wasn't a regular show of mine. Um. Did we ever? I mean, obviously, we must have heard their last name <laughs> at some point. Uh, you know, this is not an easy. I had to look it up. I had to look it up. I didn't know. I'm like, but but this is a classic sitcom family. Since it's a classic sitcom family, I'm going to say their last name was Nelson. <laughs> it's a fine guess. <laughs> also, you know, in this episode, we had Officer Brady. I'm like, oh, Brady. <laughs> Brady. Oh, yeah, right. We had Officer Benson. Benson. Benson was a sitcom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. I wouldn't have known the answer to this one either. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's a very fair question. And I oh, would have yeah. gotten it wrong. They were the Wilkerson's. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay yeah. I think that's a fair question, though. <laughs> yeah. Even though I'm with you in the offer. I, 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 please, if you're out there and you got it right, let us know. Yeah. It's not like, like the Cunninghams. Like, you know the Cunninghams. Oh, but, 
But do you? Do you? If you're if you're a person of a certain age, like who didn't grow up on it, like if you have someone, a kid from today, they might know Happy Days, maybe. Right. But Richie Cunningham, I guess, is kind of you know he was always just Malcolm, <laughs> right? It's like, just interesting, interesting that. All right, question two. Now, this one is probably unfair, but I have multiple choice to it, which at least puts into the realm of fairness. Okay. <laughs> but here you go. All right. So, Perry Shen, who played Bobby, our literary agent in this episode, he's actually had a very nice career. I went up, I went to look and see what, what he's done since this or before this. And he has appeared on General Hospital for 280 episodes and counting. Mm. <laughs> so, definitely did, uh, did a lot of work on, on GH. So my question to you is which of the following choices is his character name on that show? Okay. Okay. Is it A, Brad Cooper? Is it B, Christian Kristoff? Is it C, Freddie March? Or is it D, Jimmy Mason? And if you're wondering where I got these choices, why these are the four actors who played the lead in the four incarnations of A Star is Born. <laughs> wow. So is it Brad Cooper, Christian Kristoff, Freddie March, or Jimmy Mason? Yeah. I'm going to go with, uh, this clearly is just a guess. I'm going to go with Jimmy Mason. Jimmy Mason, of course, spun off from the or- original uh, James Mason. James Mason? Yes. Was the original Stars Born character. They didn't all play the same character because they changed the names in some of the versions. But yeah, uh, no, yeah. no. And Christian Kristoff was based on Chris Christofferson. Uh, and it sounds very soapy, which is why I put it there. But no, he played good old Brad Cooper. <laughs> yeah, Bradley Cooper. I mean, Brad Cooper. <laughs> exactly. Uh, never you mind there. All right. Yeah, it all comes down to this question. As usual. <laughs> As usual, my favorite question. I love no question more each week than what are we going to watch next week? So I ask you, what will the plot of our next episode? Criminal Month. Season 3, Episode 11, entitled Birthright B. Birthright. Is it A? After a series of socialites start turning up dead, the BAU begins to suspect that the unsub could be the missing heir to a famous family's fortune. Is it a B? It's not quite Knives Out, but when there's a grisly murder after the reading of a disputed will, it's up to the BAU to figure out who done it. Is it C? Three young female college students go missing in six weeks, and the BAU is called in when it appears this may be a repeat of similar crimes from the 1980s. Or is it D? Two teenage girls get kidnapped. But there's no ransom note, so the BAU suspects their estranged father might be the abductor. Until he turns up dead. Once again, I think I'm going to just answer the question based on what I'd like to see. Because these all these all sound like episodes that are actually episodes, and I just gotta guess which is the right one that happens to be next week's episode. I don't know if you've made up any of these. These all sound so good. Uh, However, you are a writer. You obviously could make these up. I'm going to go with 
Flashback Friday. Uh, the uh, crimes that appear to be similar to crimes that happened back in the 80s. I believe that was choice C. All right. You're thinking that we're going to have a redux of 80s crimes played out in the here and now, which is not the here and now, but like 15 years ago. <laughs> right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Kintad, I have to tell you that that is exactly what we will be doing. Well sussed out. <laughs> yes, I did. So I worked so hard on that. <laughs> hey, if if they're giving you what you want, go with your gut on what you want. Yeah. Ask and ye shall receive. <laughs> Yay. Good job there. All right. Birthright. <laughs> Birthright. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm always down for some 80s nostalgia. Hopefully I get a little bit. Uh, folks, that's the show for this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass. This is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. What do you think? Can't think at all. What you gonna do? Gonna live my life. How do you feel? I'm lonely. In excess. <laughs>